You can be seated. While you're being seated, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your goodness, and may we never lose sight of it. May we never lose uh, perspective on it that you have been uh, so, so good to us. May May we remember it always, but honestly, uh, especially this weekend, as we're reminding ourselves to be thankful and we're, we're reminding ourselves to remember, may we remember your goodness in all things. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. There were two uh, old friends that kind of met up on the street one day, and one looked kind of depressed and forlorn and on the verge of tears, and his friend asked, I mean, what, what on earth is the matter? And he said, well, about three weeks ago, an uncle that I had never, ever met before, I didn't even, didn't even know he existed, uh, he passed away and he left me $40,000. He says, well, that, that's a lot of money. And he said, well, I, I'm not done yet. He said, two weeks ago, a cousin that I'd never, ever met died and left me $85,000. Friend says, it sounds like, I mean, it's sad about the deaths, but that sounds like an amazing thing. He said, well, I'm not quite finished yet. And then last week, a great aunt that I never knew passed away, and she and I inherited from her $250,000. Never met any of these people. And the man, his friend was confused, and he said, well, why are you so depressed and glum and sad? And he says, well, you haven't let me finish yet. This week, nothing. <laughs> right? So, and I, I, think it's, I think it's really, really easy to get turned around especially right in a, in, a, in a pandemic year and in kind of a tough year, I think it's easy to get turned around on happiness and thanksgiving and perspective on all of that stuff. We can become kind of, if I'm being honest, a little bit self-obsessed in that way. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up uh, to the book of 1 Timothy. It's a really interesting book, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's the Apostle Paul is writing encouragement and instruction Uh, to a young minister who was serving in the city of Ephesus. So if you ever want to kind of do a companion study, uh, 1 Timothy and Ephesians are two books that are really good to study together. And while in Ephesus, this young pastor was confronting a false teaching called Gnosticism. All right, Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism taught was that all matter, every single thing in the physical is evil. But your spirit, your spirit is good. So Gnosticism taught focus on the spiritual and reject the physical, all right? What flowed out of this Gnostic teaching was another teaching called ascetism, and it taught that any sort of pleasure that made the physical part of you happy in any way, it was to be rejected. And you were to focus on things that only nurtured and helped your spirit. So this was Gnosticism, and out of that flowed ascetism, and Paul is kind of writing Timothy to kind of teach him how to instruct people uh, in the midst of this false teaching. And if you were kind of keyed in uh, to, to this idea, you're like, part of it almost sounds true, right? Right, part of it that, that the physical is evil, the spirit is good, so reject the physical and embrace, it almost sounds like something you'd hear in church. But Paul says it's not true, and here's what Paul says. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such things come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. 
For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. He said, you gotta correct these people, right? Nourished on the, the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. This is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially those who believe. Command and teach these things, he says to this young pastor. And don't let anyone look down on you because you're, you're young. He's already anticipating that people are going to say, well, Timothy, you haven't really lived a life yet, right? He said, no, no, no. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So remember the teaching that Paul is trying to confront here. That any sort of pleasure, any sort of happiness, any sort of fun in the physical body is to be rejected and only soul-nurturing things like prayer and worship and fasting are to be enjoyed. So as a follower of Jesus, the teaching went, the, the best thing you can do is renounce all pleasure and all happiness. And the question is, is that true? No wonder people don't care for the church, right? <laughs> right? Reject all pleasure, reject all happiness, come join us. You're gonna love it here, right? Is that true? So Paul is saying that in this particular setting, what they were saying is like, hey, you really ought to reject marriage, right? If marriage is something that God kind of created that, that brings you happiness in, in any capacity at all, you should stop getting married and for heaven's sake, stop being so happy in your marriage, right? Uh, in this teaching, they called him to reject certain foods because they tasted good. It, it made them happy. So he said, stop going to restaurants with your friends. Stop uh, doing that and spend more time meditating and praying, and fasting, and for the love of all that is holy, stop smiling so much, right? It was the rejection of anything that made you feel good, anything that made you happy. And we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but in a weird way, our culture has gone to the opposite end of the spectrum. This is reject all happiness, reject all pleasure, pursue the spiritual only, and our culture has gone to a rejection of the spiritual in light of the physical, right? In other words, our culture says, man, if it makes you happy, if it makes you feel good, if it seems to be right, pursue it with reckless abandon. And I find that this kind of models the church in a lot of ways. When you look at kind of Christendom over the last 50 years, I find that there are two theological positions that Christians have taken on, on this issue. The first is the prosperity movement. And the prosperity movement says, God is borderline obsessed with your happiness. And if you give your life to him, you will prosper. 
You will be made rich. You will be made healthy. You will, it will be up and to the right for your entire life. And people put their faith in the prosperity movement and there was one itsy bitsy little problem. Life happened. 2020 happened. Right, 2021 happened. And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How could a God who is obsessed with my happiness, how does 2020 even begin to make sense if God is truly obsessed with our happiness and people saw life happening? So they, not, they didn't just abandon that teaching. They abandoned faith altogether because they've been taught this faulty view of faith, that God is obsessed with your happiness. Now, the other kind of end of that spectrum, the way the pendulums uh, kind of went within Christianity is there emerged this poverty gospel. And the poverty movement said, no, 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 God is not obsessed with your happiness. God's actually kind of opposed to your happiness. So you should reject money and decent homes and vacations and stuff like that. And you really ought to just give everything away. It kind of went back to the, the teaching to the, to the city in Ephesus. And, and if that's what Jesus has called you to, he called the rich young ruler to sell everything. You should certainly do it. But Jesus didn't call everyone to that. And so while the prosperity movement's message was, God is obsessed with your happiness, the poverty gospel became God's opposed to your happiness. And what Paul is trying to help Timothy see is, is there like a middle ground here? Between God only wants you to be happy and God is opposed to you, is there a middle ground there? And I love Paul kind of, in classic kind of Paul fashion in, in this, he comes at this, these false teachers pretty hard, admittedly. He says, first of all, what you need to know about these teachers, he says to Timothy, some of them are deceived. He says, they think that what they're saying is true. They just don't know anybody. And you could see Ephesus was a major city of the day. It was a lot like America in that way, shopping centers, entertainment, every sexual opportunity you could Im imagine. And, and Ephesus was just kind of that way. And so Paul is saying, you could see how a pastor serving in Ephesus would say, reject that. Reject it, be done with it. And how that is a hop, skip, and a jump to, you know what, God doesn't even really want you to be. If this is what happiness looks like, God doesn't want this for you. And that is true. If that's what happiness is, God certainly doesn't want that for us. And so he says, man, some of this uh, is th that these teachers are deceived and you really could see it happening. He said, some of them though, are demonic. And this is pretty classic Paul language. He's like, you know, some of them are deceived, some of them are the devil, right? Well, Paul, all right, okay. all right. And, and what he's saying is that some of them are intentionally uh, painting a picture of God that is unflattering. He says that's what some of them are doing that will cause people to not want to love God, worship him, or follow him. Like we said, it's like, man, reject happiness, reject pleasure, reject everything in that realm, and give your life solely to fasting, Happy Thanksgiving and join the church. Right? He says some of them are intentionally painting a picture of God that is unflattering. So Paul would say, man, if you're like watching, like a, let's say a military funeral on TV and you see people there holding signs, God hates sinners or whatever the case what, of what some Christians do, he says there's always two options there. Some, of, some people that do stuff like that are deceived and some are intentionally painting a picture of God that is unflattering. He said, but whatever camp they fall into, Here's, here's what Paul says about them. They're all hypocritical liars. He says, they're telling you, reject marriage because marriage brings, brings pleasure and everything that brings pleasure should be rejected. They're married. 
Yeah, so, so they're, they're hypocrites. He says, they're telling you, reject all this food that tastes good, and their mouth is full. <laughs> they're enjoying Thanksgiving with their family, right? They're eating pumpkin pie. They're eating turkey. They're eating stuffing. They're eating all of that stuff. And they're saying, hey, if this food brings you pleasure, reject it. But all the while, they are stuffing their faces, their bellies are full of food, their mouth is full of wine, and they are just going at it, but they're telling you to not enjoy it, but they do. And so it kind of begs a question, right? The question I wanted to come up and try to answer today is, where does God stand on your happiness? Where does God stand on my happiness? Because there are two myths you can believe in, and they're both myths. You can believe the myth that God is obsessed with it, and nothing matters to him more than you being happy. It's a myth. It's, not, it's untrue. Or you can buy into the myth that God is absolutely opposed to your happiness, and, and your happiness actually offends him. That's not true either. I think Paul gives us a really great middle ground in this text. Here's what Paul says, remember? For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So Paul is writing it to this culture that said, reject marriage, reject food, reject being happy. God is an enemy to your happiness. And look at what he says. He says, hey, time out. Everything God created is good. One of my favorite parts of the creation story is that God is creating one thing after another and the story kind of builds on itself, you know. He kind of adds structure, he creates light, he creates animal, he creates all this stuff that, that builds on top of it. And at the end of every day, it says, oh, God said, that was good. That was good, that was good, that was good. And then at the, kind of, at the end of it, he creates the man and he creates the woman. And you know what he does? He hands creation over to them and says, this is a gift. Enjoy it. It's yours. So church, I don't know what you've been taught before, but here's what I want you to know. You should enjoy everything God has created. He created work, and I know some of you just had a bunch of time off and you're going back tomorrow. He created work. <laughs> I hope you can find some ways this week to enjoy your work. He's created your children. I know we just all had a bunch of time with our kids, right? Right? He created your children. I hope you find a way to enjoy your children. He created marriage. I hope you find a way to enjoy your marriage. I hope you enjoy it. He created food. I hope you enjoy food. He created this world. I, I hope that you find a way to enjoy the things of this world. You see, God only wants you to be happy is untrue. But God's opposed to it isn't true either. Jesus once said one time, he said, you know what's true about you? Even though you're evil, thanks Jesus, but even though you're evil, right? Even though you're a sinner, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more does your heavenly father who is perfect, who's not evil, who's not a sinner, how much more does he know how to give good gifts to you? So Paul seems to indicate that these gifts that we're talking about here, all, everything that God created is good, that these gifts should be received with thanksgiving. So I thought this was a good text to study this week because we're just kind of coming out of, of thanksgiving. But thanksgiving is a reminder to us in all things that we should be thankful for his good gifts. 
that he is an excellent gift giver and he gives excellent gifts. So just out of curiosity, Thanksgiving, how many of you would say like your favorite part of Thanksgiving is the meal? All right, a few of you, all right, time with family, getting in the car and going home at the end, <laughs> right? Right, anybody, no, 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 right? We found, uh, we, uh, for a variety of reasons, we usually travel to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, and so we're usually in the car a lot in Thanksgiving and go up there. And my sister usually does the meal, does a fantastic kind of Thanksgiving meal. And this year, for a variety of reasons, we couldn't travel this Thanksgiving. So we decided, I, I, for the, really for the first time, we were just home, just the four of us. We, we were just kind of home by ourselves. And I wouldn't want to do Thanksgiving that way every single year, but it really was nice, just the four of us. And we said, when? Cheryl and I, neither of us are really plussed about like the Thanksgiving meal. So as we were kind of leading up to Thanksgiving day, we said, what should we do? You know what we did in our house? Enchiladas, right? We, we made, uh, we, Cheryl made uh, enchiladas. Uh, and and it, was, it was really fun. And pumpkin pie, we had pumpkin pie, we watched sports, we laid around. It, it, was, a really, it was a really good day, but the, the meal's really not what the day's about, right? It's about being thankful thankful for the gifts God has given us. You probably feel the same way that I do. When I look back on my life, I am so thankful. Amazing wife that we've added to our family, Sam and Lila, and they are a joy, a church full of people that we love, a savior who died for our sins, a home we cherish, pretty good health. God has been kind to us. Now that's not to say we haven't had any challenges, right, hon? You know, that, that, that our, our life has been up and to the right, that God's like obsessed with our happiness. And so he doesn't ever allow us to go through anything difficult. That's not true either, right? Lost my mom when I was 17, had struggles uh, having, having children, struggles to have a baby, lots of challenges along the way. So it's not true that Christ followers never struggle. It's that even when you struggle, even in a year that you struggle, like maybe this year or, or last year, a year that you struggle, because of God's grace, you can always see good gifts. Part of the nature, that, uh, God, part of, the nature of God is that he is a giver. He gives good gifts. He has created good things for us to enjoy. And so we never want to forget those things. The song we sang was spot on, wasn't it? All right? God has been so, so good. So what about 2021? What about, yeah, yeah. It's, there's been hard times. But really, when you look at the totality of your life, you, you would have to admit that God has been so, so good. And he's not obsessed with your happiness, right? He's not opposed to it either. So he goes on to say, he says, we want to enjoy all of these gifts. We want to be thankful for all of these gifts, but we want to do it in a consecrated way, is what Paul says here, right? And this is absolutely key, that when you think about everything God created is good, he gives those gifts as, as, he gives those things as a gift for us to enjoy, but we wanna do it in a consecrated, holy, and pure way. Let me put this on screen for you, because this is what is true, and it's a succinct way to say it. God's gifts are to be used God's way, right? So God gives good gifts, but those are to be used his way, that God's gifts are best used God's way. So God created work. You want to fully enjoy work? Do it God's way. God created family. You want to fully enjoy family? Do it God's way, right? God created kind of money, if you will, and, and a, a way to live in that way. We want, to, we want to use that God's way. And he even goes on, on to tell us in verse 5 what he exactly means by this. He says, we want to kind of view those gifts in a consecrated way. He says, by the word of God and prayer. 
by the word of God and prayer. So we talked about this like a little bit last week, but we know that in God's word, that, 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 that God's word is God's common will. In other words, God tells us the best way to use his gifts, and he says the same thing to everyone, right? The Bible is God's common will. It's God's word to everyone. So you want to know the best way to use money? It's in God's word. The best way to parent? It's in God's word. The best way to work? It's in God's word. The Bible has some powerful stuff to say to that, but he says it to everyone. And when I say common will, it means anybody can crack open the Bible and read God's will for these areas of their life. Now, while that's true, and the Bible is powerful and helpful in that way. The Bible is not going to give you the little details on how to live your life, how to use God's gifts, God's way in very specific situations. Here's what I mean. So when the Bible is going to tell you the best way to do, to use your money, it's going to say, be generous and give cheerfully. But the Bible is not going to give you a list of everyone that you should give to, Right? The Bible, when it comes to parenting, it's going to say, man, raise your kids in the Lord. Teach them to respect the Lord. But it's not going to tell you where to send them to college. It's not going to tell them where to put them in preschool, right? We've looked. It's not there, right? When you think about work, the Bible's going to tell you to work hard, don't be lazy, be diligent. But the Bible's not going to tell you what company to apply for. This is why we have prayer. So with the word of God and prayer, so that we can speak to God. But you know what also happens in prayer? God speaks to us. So we have the Bible and we have prayer so that we can live these holy, pure, and sanctified lives and God can tell us the best way to use the gifts that he has given us. So back in the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a different kind of group of Christians and in this book he says, you know what? My greatest concern in this area is that God has given you incredible gifts and, and, and gifts that he wants you to enjoy his way. But Paul says in Romans, his greatest fear for us is that instead of enjoying the gift, the gift is going to become God itself, right? He said, this is his concern. Here's how he says it in the book of uh, Romans on the screen. He says, Paul's concern is that we would worship created things, gifts, rather than the creator. That we would begin to look to those things for our salvation and our joy and our hope and our peace. So families are awesome. They are created by God to enjoy. They make terrible gods. Your family's lovely. I don't know them. I'm sure they're lovely. Some of you are like, you've never met my family, right? No, but I'm sure your family's lovely. They make a terrible God. Money's extremely helpful, right? It is. To, to, to buy, especially this time of year, to pay bills and all that. It makes a terrible God. Career, it's a wonderful thing to have a career. It makes a terrible God. And when I say I look to those things as God, I mean a couple things that the, that, that thing becomes the way we process all of our decisions instead of, instead of looking to God. So it's like, man, I've got this big decision to make. How's it gonna affect career? How's it gonna affect my kids? How, how's it gonna affect my spouse? And we begin to look at those, those things become the prism through which we make every decision. And it's not healthy and it's not good. A lot of people in our modern culture, a lot of people do this with their kids. Right? We, we love kids, all right? but they really do make terrible, terrible little G-gods. They really do. Right? You know, it's like, little Lila, what do you want our family to do? Not, not a good idea. Because right? it's going to involve princess and pink and things are going to happen. Right? So they, they make terrible little G-gods. And, and what happens for a lot of us is that that gift becomes God. And we begin to view every decision through that prism. The other thing that I mean 
uh, is that we look to that gift to do something it was never designed to do. We look at that gift and we say, man, I want you to give me joy, hope, and peace. Little baby that you've been waiting for for so long, right? I'm expecting you, baby, to give me joy, hope, and peace. Baby shouldn't be born with a job, right? I'm looking for you. Job, new job that I just got, job, I am looking to you to bring me joy, hope, and peace. Marriage that you've been waiting so long to get married and you're finally married, partner, I am looking to you to bring me joy, hope, and peace. And can I tell you something in love on Thanksgiving weekend? They can't. They can't. That's why you're so frustrated with your spouse. It's why you're so frustrated at work. It's why you're so frustrated with your babies. They're staying up all night, not eating, right? You're like, you're not bringing me joy, hope, and peace. No, they're not. They're up in the middle of the night and they're really angry, right? They can't do it. They're not equipped to do it. They're not able to do it. That is God's job. So never allow the gift. It's a beautiful gift that God has given you. Enjoy the gift God's way. Enjoy it. But never look for it to be your savior. Never look for it to be your God. And I think we do this uh, for a really easy uh, reason to understand. I, I think that when you, and I even catch myself, and I'm a preacher, when you're talking up here saying, man, God's given you good gifts, use that gift in a holy way. Use that gift in a purified way. Use that gift in a sanctified way. Use that gift in a consecrated way. We hear that and we immediately think, oh, God's holding back on me. These do not sound like fun words, right? They just don't, right? Use the gift in a holy way. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun, right? And we immediately have a reaction to it. And if we don't pay attention to that, that gift is gonna become a God and it's, it's not gonna bring us joy, hope, or peace. And you know what? The opposite's actually true. To use the gift that God gives you in a godly way, God will never disappoint you in that. And you will enjoy that gift in a way that you didn't even realize was possible because God knows the best way to do it. And so we want to uh, we want to approach him through scripture. We want to approach him through prayer and say, God, you've entrusted this to me. You've entrusted this job to me. You've entrusted this child to me. You've entrusted this spouse to me. How do you want me to do it your way? And listen to God. Here's, here's what the scripture says uh, that, that we read earlier. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. For this we labor and strive that we put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all men and especially for those who believe. You know what he's saying here? A lot of you in this room, you've trusted God with your salvation you trusted God with your eternity. Praise God, we're grateful for that. But for some of you in this room, it's time to trust your kids with him. It's time to trust your spouse. It's time to trust your money. It's time to trust your career. That you're, you're, you've put your faith in Jesus and your future is secured. You, you are trusting in him for eternity. What if today you began to trust him with your family? Maybe for the first time. What if today you began to trust him with your income, maybe for the first time? What if maybe you begin to trust him with your kids, uh, maybe for the first time, to say, man, this is a gift he gave to me, and I wanna, I wanna honor that gift, and I wanna, I wanna use that gift his way, because his ways are always best. 
So here as we get ready to close, here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, first of all, command and teach these things. He says, you're in a culture that's gonna make this very hard because everybody is kind of thinking that either God's opposed to their happiness or God's obsessed with their happiness and you need to teach this middle ground. You need to command and teach these things well. And I find just like you do that there are a lot of times I'm seeking people for advice and there are a lot of times people are seeking me for advice. And I think this is one of the great things we can do is we can command and teach people and help people to see, man, in your situation, God's way is best. So what does God say about your kids? What does God say about your occupation? What does God say about your mind? And just point people to Jesus. Command and teach these things. He said, set an example. Remember, he's talking to a young guy. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. Right? I hope you know this. You don't have to be old to set an example. Anybody can do it. As a matter of fact, a lot of times the example my 10-year-old is looking for is somebody like in middle school and high school. He's looking to them. So you don't have to be old to set an example, but you can set an example with your life and with your actions to say, man, I want to demonstrate to you that God's ways really are best with with these gifts. I want to demonstrate that to you so people can look at your life and see it it really is best. When I see the way that they handle family, when I see the way they handle finances, when I see the way they handle career, God's given them a good gift and they're managing it really well. I want to be more like that. And lastly, he says, be diligent. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone can see your progress. Oh, church, (laughs) progress is an important word in that verse, right? Because no one is using all of God's gifts the way he's asked 100% of the time. We're all on a journey. So don't give up. Be diligent. Keep making progress. Keep moving forward with God's help. Ask God to reveal the areas of like, man, I feel like I really am trusting him with my finances, my marriage, and my career, but my kid, I'm holding my kids back. I'm holding them too close. I need to trust what God says in this area or whatever it is for you, however that would lay out. To say, man, God, through your spirit, would you reveal to me kind of where I need to be more diligent and where I need to work a little harder to, to hand this over to you because your ways are best. And I promise you, God will reveal that to you. So is God obsessed with your happiness? I would not, no, I, no, 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 no. I, I, stuff's not gonna make sense if you believe that. Your life is not gonna make sense if you believe that. He's not obsessed with it. Is he opposed to it? No, 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 no. I wouldn't say it that way either. He, he's, not, he's not opposed to it. He gives good gifts. Those gifts are to be enjoyed his way. And the biggest thing he's after with us is faithfulness. And so in times of plenty, we want to, Paul talks about this, we want to be faithful. In times of want, we want to be faithful. He's really looking for faithfulness. And I like Uh, I really like what Paul says to Timothy in in this text. Everything God created is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. The greatest gift he ever gave us, we're going to celebrate it and remember it right now through our time of communion, is what happened on the cross. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll start to talk a little bit about communion. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you uh, for uh, the gifts that he gives. 
thank you for the gift of marriage, the gift of family, those people in the room that are working, the gift of a job, all the gift of food, all the different gifts that you give. But right now, we want to focus with laser, laser focus on the gift of the cross and the gift of the resurrection. Because everybody in this room has that in common. We all have, uh, are in a different place in our family, a different place in our marriage, a different place when it comes to the way we, we can provide. We're all in a different place there. But the thing we all have in common right now is that you loved us enough to send your son for us. And that son died for us so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have a relationship with God in this life and in the next. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So as we enter into a time of communion, may we never, ever lose sight of that. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. It's a time of thanksgiving. We're going to remember the cross. We're going to remember the resurrection. And we're just going to express thanksgiving to him uh, for, for, for what he accomplished on that cross. The forgiveness of sins, new life. Um, resurrection, all of that stuff we've been talking about the last six weeks. And then you can kind of receive it and just spend some time being thankful. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His blood poured out. We receive it with thanksgiving. And we uh, get ready to leave this place, Lord. And we want to we wanna leave uh, thankful people because you have been so, so good to us. This is, this is the biggest demonstration of your love. We're grateful. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, I'd, love, uh, I'd love to invite you to, to stay after church today. Uh, we're going to be decking the halls. If, if that's something that you think you'd enjoy, we're going to be primarily uh, working in this room and in the foyer. Uh, so there'll be uh, rather large trees in both of those, uh, pre-lit, ready to go, because we believe in the grace of God. So we have pre-lit trees. Right? <laughs> And we don't, we don't want to see anybody lose their faith over a Christmas tree, right? Which uh, happens nearly every year when you're putting, you're like, why do we have this tree, right? Um, and uh, so it's all pre-lit. We'd love for you to stay. We'll, we'll order some pizza, uh, have a good time. If not, uh, we'll see you next Sunday. We're going to start our new uh, Christmas series called Christmas All Around Us. And we're going to look at some of the traditions of other countries when it comes to Christmas and how those connect uh, to the Christmas story. So we'd love to have you join us for that as well. Go ahead and stand. And uh, let's sing one last song.